This episode of All the President's Minutes is brought to you by Increment Vice, another one hit minute production that has just completed its lengthy deep dive of Paul Thomas Anderson's masterpiece from 2014, Inherent Vice, hosted by our incredibly talented Travis Woods, narrated by Kat Corbett and produced by myself. All 45 episodes roll through this sprawling turning point in American identity through Doc's hazy daisy view of the 60s now into the high 70s. If 2020 was a year of something, it is the year of the Golden Fang. You have to listen to this show, an incredible series of guests. It kicked off on November 1st last year in 2019 and ran all the way up to October 31st in 2020. Really proud of the show. Uh, really proud of Travis. Really proud of all of our incredible guests. Uh, if you haven't visited it yet, go and visit. If you have listened, go and listen again. Subscribe, rate, review. It's all part of this feed. Um, and if you jump on and listen on Spotify, you can find playlists with the entire show all in its own little compartment. But now, on to the show. Good, good. I say recount, stop the count, count it again, okay? Then triple count it. It's over, fucko. You lost. You fucking lost. The fucking ghost of John McCain bit you right in your fat fucking ass in Arizona. Good, you fucking asshole. Your big fucking mouth came back to fuck you. Okay? The fucking, you, you don't want to uh, uh, back the governor of Michigan when there's a plot to kidnap her? Good, you fuck. Pack your fucking shit and you're gonna lose Pennsylvania. Huh? The ghost of Daryl fucking Dawkins, the Broad Street bullies, you're fucking done in Philadelphia. You're done. Pack your fucking shit. You got a bunch of fucking flunkies around you. Get your fucking stupid sons, your dumb fucking daughter, your fucking mute fucking blowjob, Jared fucking Kushner fucking son-in-law. Get the fucking tape, get the boxes, and pack your fucking shit. Pack it now. Go the fuck away. Four years of this fucking nonsense, you fucking blowjob. Get the fucking trucks. It's time, asshole. We could count, we could recount. Let's do it three fucking times. We'll triple check it. It's over, asshole. You fucking lost, motherfucker. You dumb fuck you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Uh, joining me is an acclaimed author. Um, uh, two of his novellas, Fierce Bitches and Peckerwood, are just absolutely spectacular. He also writes less frequently than he used to, uh, but still nonetheless uh, very insightfully and in depth on his blog, Hardware Wonderland. He's quite simply one of the most staggeringly well-versed cinephiles that is around. And when you ask for a favor of him at the last minute to jump in, because such is you need an extra source because a source falls through and you need a confirmation at the last minute. He is the kind of man that will jump on the grenade for you. He is my friend, Jedediah Ayers. Jed, thank you so much for coming back to All the President's Minutes. Oh, wait, this isn't the heat one? Because uh, I just watched heat. 
Well, um, and I've got a lot to say about it. Well, I, I think, I think everyone listening can agree. Uh, you and I talking about heat is always fun. So if you need to get some of that out, um, I'm more than happy uh, for you to start that way, but sure. We, we might, just slightly diverge back into 1976 uh, just for a, for a small part of the show to talk about the 121st minute of this, uh, of this great film. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. I remember all the way back when, when I told you I was going to be doing this show, um, you said two things. Uh, you said, well, Mr. Pakula is no longer with us. So how the hell are you going to end this show? Number one. And why for a guy who's so obsessed with, with a movie like heat, would this be the next film that you were so inclined to explore? And so I think now, you know, we spoke in the 33rd episode, you spoke to me on the 30th episode of one hit minute. And then the 33rd episode of this show also later in the heat run. Um, but we've been speaking a lot during this pandemic uh, in our own little pandemic film club. And I guess, um, has it become any more crystal clear uh, why I wanted to talk about this movie so much or, uh, or less apparent uh, in all of our talks since then? Yeah, I think I'm nailing down a little bit of your, some of the things that, that make you tick a little more, you know, outside of just uh, crime which is my attraction to uh to to heat but uh you know there's a real precision uh filmmaking uh thing that that you certainly uh respond to so uh and this has got it in spades and and certainly uh it's a it's a timely film as uh as i'm sure you've said on every episode of the show absolutely but but this this right now is this is like confessions and sources and, and, and especially the moment that we're in is like weird sort of almost like espionage, like tradecraft. Like I'm not going to say yes, but if I don't say no in 10 seconds, can you please confirm this for me? It's like one of the last sort of clutching at straws moments. And I feel like the last two minutes are some of the most beautiful, like clutching at straws moments. And we're about to, for, for these guys to really face, their worst possible fears at this this stage of the investigation is to have gotten something wrong or at least outwardly the reception of something that they've written for to be challenged. So, um, so sort of like forthrightly, but now in this moment, it's like, it's just such a beautiful dalliance of like, I'm going to play all these calculating tricks to try and get people back to, to, to confirm something that they don't want to have any part in. And so, yeah, it's, it's a, this is like real fun, you know, tropes and movie making sort of fun here i i can't get enough of something like this yeah it's beautiful i love that uh uh that um the way it's mirroring uh what's going on right now um in the states where we'll, we got two people on on a phone uh waiting you know one waiting for the other to blink and uh you know it's not so much action that uh is is the key thing here it's inaction yes that everything is take hinging on and uh yeah i mean what a place what a place to be right at this moment in the <laughs> states uh just everybody waiting for inaction inaction being uh the key to everything so yeah wait waiting for people to say all of the bluster all of the weird uh red herrings and false actors and the president current president of the United States, like going onto Twitter, talking about millions of votes being illegally acquired or flipping uh, different people and having all these 
fake testimonies and and um and then at the same time every other news outlet that is reputable the times the washington post kind of on both sides of the political aisle washington post and and every every paper kind of universally going no all of the electoral all, all of the electoral officials across all of the different states have tested the you know have tested any uh, suspicious entries have then done sample checks across their entire you know entire received vote and now like it's we're just we are literally Dustin Hoffman right now in this moment this morning that we're recording in Oz in that afternoon in the states waiting to see who's going to budge like what happens next because you know it feels like a fait accompli like Australia you know a whole bunch of other international allies have already congratulated the new president on his election like it's all sort of the, the stock market has already responded you know kind of glowingly at the you know the prospect of a, a biden presidency and yet trump and all of his cronies um uh, are still dancing around and even fox news is calling it like fluff even fox news is reporting in all of these controversial states that it's fluff so i i i don't know jed it's such a it is a weird it is a weird time it is a weird time. I think Fox is just showing that they're not ideal ideologues so much as they are, uh, you know, uh, showmen and uh, business people who <laughs> understand that uh, uh, they're going to make a, a killing if uh, Biden gets in. Uh, everybody who already watches them is going to watch them even harder. And, you know, but they have a life outside of Trump and uh, they're... Yeah, they can't wait for uh, an opposition force to be in there. I think. Oh, the the funnest the funnest thing is they're the greatest bandwagoners of all time. Yeah, you know, like you, Trump is as an individual one of the most antithetical conservatives of all time. Like yeah. who basically blatantly abuses the entire conservative kind of like regime so far, all of which Fox had kind of hitched their wagons to previously. And then they jumped on him hard and they will jump away from him hard. <laughs> and then they will jump yeah. on the next guy or, or, or lady hard. And that is how it'll be. And if, if the Republicans are stupid enough to try and get Trump to run again in 2024 against a Biden Harris, um, uh, you know, a tried and true sort of Biden Harris four years in the office undoing some of the things that he's done and hopefully getting some runs on the board, then they'll hitch their wagon to him again. It'll be all the, it's such beautiful transparency. You know, in, in the words of Miami Vice, you know, I like businessmen who are confident because they're very predictable, you know, like it's just, yeah. we know how they're going to act. It's like, yeah, okay, cool. What's actually surprising though, is that right now, some of them aren't going for what I think the Trump true believers and his inner circle of cronies are doing, which is they're playing the short game of trying to disrupt and make this as difficult a transition as possible. Where I think the you know, the power of Fox is like, no, there's going to be another person in and we're going to, we got to start rebuilding. We've got to start talking about different things. We've got to start challenging. We've got to start putting the rhetoric out there that this Biden presidency isn't working and, and continue to, you know, spruik our very loyal and, you know, insanely turnouting voters um, to, to the next candidate. Yeah. I hope the country ages out of Fox in the next few years. <laughs> I don't, I mean, somebody else will be along if, if Fox isn't around, uh, or, or, or Fox will change in, in some way that, that suits suits the younger demographic a little in, in a very scary long game. But uh, 
Well, the, the big one is that everyone's been saying, and I don't know if you've read as much of this as I have, but like the pundits Guarantee are saying like, I have not. No, well, everyone's been saying that Trump, you know, will then catapult himself, whether it was from a four-year term or a or an eight-year term, would catapult himself into his own network. There would be like a Trump network and he would be a figurehead of that network and use all of the people that are sort of aligned to him on that sort of level of extremity um, uh, and sort of like showmanship and extremity and have his own network out there that's constantly, you know, being an alternative media outlet. And I think also Fox are probably pretty aware of that. Cause I don't think he's just going to walk and take a seat at, you know, Fox and friends, um, even though they'd probably love him for it because their ratings would go through the roof. But I think he probably would go out on his own and do something like that anyway. So, you know, they might be just, you know, earmarking a potential future competitor and just go, no, nah, we're not going to, we're not going to give this guy too much more profile. He's going to be a competitor before we know it. So we may as well uh, get on with this. Yeah. Uh, if, if there's any joy, anything to enjoy at this it's watching just knowing he's grasping that uh you know it some he's got to find some way to stay viable for his uh creditors you know to keep money coming in so uh yeah whatever it is whatever the next move is it, it's it's i'm just hoping it's miserable i'm just hoping <laughs> well on that beautiful note of Trump's misery, let's dive into Alan J. Pakula and Robert Redford's 1976 masterpiece, All the President's Men. It is the 121st minute. Jed and I are going to watch it uh, together right now. You guys are going to listen along uh, and we're going to come back and talk about it. It's a really dynamic scene. Um, it's it's criminal sometimes that these minutes do this because they put us right in media res of like another scene that's already happening. But this is what it is. So let's watch Dustin Hoffman listen intently on a phone call and then start freaking out and running through a newsroom together. Nine, 10. You got a straight man? Everything okay? Everything's fine. Wait, wait! Yeah. We got it! It's fine, he confirmed what happened. I said if I get to 10 and you don't hang up, it's solid. Did he confirm it? Absolutely. You got to tell Brad. <laughs> Bernstein got another source. The guy just is confirmed. If there's any doubt, we can run it tomorrow. You don't have to. The story's solid. We're sure of it. He's just got off the phone and it's gold. Okay, we go with it. Did you just give me the the climax of the movie? Did I? <laughs> One of them, definitely. <laughs> One of the climaxes of the movie. This is, I think I've spoken to a few people is, this movie is 137 minutes long. So, you know, almost two hours and 20 minutes. Shorter than heat. Um, but it's almost two hours and 20 minutes. And for a long time, it is a glacially and very deliberately paced film about the sort of the emotional tension in conversations and the moral complexity of actually going on the record when it's probably not in your best interest to, and these guys being able to extract stories out of folk and the last kind of 10 to 15 minutes, even 20 minutes of this movie feels to me 
so incredibly ferociously paced. Like you are just bang, story beat, story beat, story beat, story beat. Things are flying through. And, um, you know, this is, they're about to make a mistake. They're about to miss. But in this moment, um, it's a dynamic scene. You've got Bernstein listening. You've got this absolutely awesome exchange where they run through the newsroom. Again, one of the most, the biggest production design flexes of any film ever because this newsroom is so outlandishly perfectly designed and the shots are so outstanding. And then one of the most glorious little match cuts of an elevator door closing and a, and a newspaper sliding into frame. And it's just, uh, it's a perfect little summation of a story. Um, and these guys panicked and Bradley's confidence in them, you know, right there in that moment is that he's sure they, they've got it. It's, it's outstanding. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I'm thinking now that the, uh, the other way that this movie is so 2020, hold on cars passing, sorry, I'm outdoors. Uh, <laughs> the other thing that, that makes this a, a great 2020 movie is the hairstyles. Cause I don't know about you, but, Nobody's getting their hair cut right now. Just, uh, <laughs> I think history is going to uh, look at 2020 as the year your hairstyles changed I'm, I'm, uh, radically. I'm just, I'm just going to show Jed. I've been, I've been keeping my uh, hats on. Oh, wow. And, and my hair is much longer than it normally is. I've been keeping many hats on in many, uh, 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 many Zoom sessions <laughs> because my hair is just getting out of control. And my wife's oh, like, you man. should probably go get a haircut because Australia at least has hairdressers open. And I'm like, look, I speak to so many folk who are still in lockdown, various stages around the world. I feel bad that I can just go and get a fresh fade. So um, I'm going out in, I'm going out in sympathy with my friends, uh, uh, my friends internationally growing long beards and keeping my hair pretty well grown. So uh, that's, that's what it is. But no, you're absolutely right. Like the, the style here is as good as it gets. I think the only thing that hasn't aged as well is corduroy. Um, we can be fair that corduroy hasn't aged as well as other materials in this movie, um, but a wide tie and a, and a, and a, and a collar and, and flowing beautiful Dustin Hoffman hair. It's, it's as good as it gets. I'm not sure how it started 20 years ago. More than that, I got a pair of corduroy slacks for christmas or my birthday or something like that i never ever buy my own clothes ever <laughs> i've always had hand-me-downs and gifts but the thing is uh for then years several years after that i just got inundated with corduroys uh every <laughs> this every is christmas a, this and is every a new, birthday this is a new side of you jed that i, I think i haven't, haven't heard yet yeah. well the thing is everybody thought I loved corduroys because I wore corduroys and I was like, no, I wear quarters because that's what I have. Cause that's, that's what people give me. But yeah, no, I was, uh, I was riding the corduroy wave. Uh, it probably wasn't, I was probably the only one out there on it, but, uh, uh yeah, I've got a closet full of, uh, corduroy waiting for, uh, to be wearable again. No, you've got to, you've got so to start. 2020 is the year maybe. This is the this is what a few people have said to me on the show when I've talked about corduroy. It's now it's now or never, Jed, because the remainder of the year is you're not going to be going out as much. I think you've got to bust out as much corduroy as possible. And in our little pandemic film club, folks listening, Jed and I are a part of a little close-knit group of friends who have a little pandemic movie club that has been keeping us sane throughout um, much of this crazy lockdown period, getting to catch up once a week and talk movies outside of the times that we've talked on about movies on podcasts or movie on podcasts. Um, I think, Jed, next week you've got to bust out some of that corduroy, man. you got to. It's just... It's just you have to it's almost I, undeniable at this point 
only psychopaths are wearing pants at all these days. I don't know. But you're, like what's, once we're out in public again, we'll have corduroys and all the president's men uh, haircuts, I think. Oh, I think I, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to hopefully a new presidential group there. But um, let's talk about, you know, you're, you're a person who is so familiar with different crime movies in diff- across all different spectrum of time and countries. And I think, you know, great, great genre films just in general are so steeped in really terrific production design. And I think that like different spaces and, you know, you, you talk, I think, you know, some of the best we've, we've recently talked about Chinatown a little bit, like, you know, one of the greatest, you know, one of the greatest movies probably ever made, but also like the best looking, like it still endures. I think that that is something where people go, well, how much was the budget on it? Or was something worth creating a, this whole space? Or was it worth dressing these sets every day? Was it worth having all these extras? It's for shots like this where, and, and shots really throughout this entire movie where there is not a single shot in this movie that feels labored or feels like it ages out or feels like you're seeing the strings or anything rough. Like you can't hide things in a newsroom that you need people to be able to run across effortlessly. Like they're just in a real space. And I just, I continue to marvel at it. And it's not just the big sweeping steel shots. It is actually unbelievably frenetic i've got to dodge people people have to move out of my way people i'm disrupting them as i'm running past them and yelling out and looking for people and all that sort of stuff i just can't get enough of like that's for me is such production design porn i just can't get enough of it in in movies like this yeah i know all throughout uh this one has got great great camera movement and great uh you know un invisible choreography to all the extras and the uh and the main actors moving like that but also the the production design and, and the 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 attention to um uh, architecture and and things like that um you know stuff that wasn't obviously wasn't made for the movie the exterior shots and the yes um uh yeah i just watched clute and parallax view again and you know that stuff is in there too so it's it's definitely uh yeah he had a damn fine eye for and and uh, you know knew it was important because you're right it would it would absolutely hold up to you know anything uh quality wise technically being made uh in a similar fashion today yeah i think i think that that's one of the um just in general is when you have to have it in the frame you know, when you have to make it happen in the frame and you have to use the architecture, you have to use the space or you have to use real machinery or whatever, whatever you're doing. Um, I think, I think it's so hard. I think it's so hard to even compare like last year, 2019, one of the last films I saw in the theater was apocalypse. Now final cut. Like they put a big 4k thing up on a repertory theater in, um, in Sydney at uh, the Cremorne Orpheum and two of the sort of ride or die one heat minute crew members, uh, Garth Franklin and Stu Coote and I went along to see it together. And the moment that they arrive at the village that is, you know, the ride of the rise of Valkyrie scene, it's not just like the actual ride of Valkyrie scene, but when they're down stomping through that village and there's like five helicopters in the shot and there's extras doing things and there's Coppola making a cameo as a film director and 
there's just so much chaos. Special effects can never live up to that level of production insanity. Like it just can't live up to it. Obviously this is a much smaller scale thing, but I think that when you look at those things and even, you know, even like the Ben Hurs of the world and things like that, where there are actually people and there are actually crowds and there are actually, you know, crazy designed things to replicate Rome. Um, you know, when you go back and look at Gladiator, they're the things that age out the hardest, you know, you're like, Oh, the special effects look yeah. good. But as soon as you look at it on a high def Blu-ray, you're like, Ugh, someone needs to fix this. Um, but that doesn't happen with all the president's men. And it doesn't happen with things like Apocalypse Now. It just doesn't happen. Like they look phenomenal for a reason. That that looks great. And I think it's it's amazing that somebody like uh, Coppola, when you bring him up um, and, and Apocalypse Now, when he did just the opposite, uh, when he really made a decision that, um, you know, to film everything on sound stages uh, for something like Dracula, and it's a yeah. huge, lavish production, that that there is a real purpose to it too, you know, that even yes. though it, it's got a, it doesn't, it looks great in the way that it doesn't look real. You know, it looks yes. surreal and it's so, you know, again, he's certainly there's a lot of special effects in Dracula, but, but it, it, it has a totally different, totally different feel. Um, and it's intentional and it works and he knew when, when it worked and, course now maybe it's just that he doesn't have doesn't have budgets that he used to but, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, think I, I wonder what pecula would have uh evolved it's interesting watching uh watching a lot of movies by you know kind of masters of the uh, past as they're dealing with new technology and they're playing around with it and some of them are doing interesting things with it and and, and clearly having fun playing and others are just kind of cranking stuff out that you said that you watched clute and parallax again in yeah. preparation as you as you do and did fonda win the best oscar uh, best actress for clute uh so i i didn't think she had i didn't i mean i don't follow the oscars i don't know who's been nominated but uh but i looked it up and i you know something i think it was imdb said she'd won so uh um uh, i'd be i'd be happy to keep that illusion if it's not true but, uh, <laughs> well that's good she's amazing in it yeah oh she's yeah that whole movie is so terrific and it is a performance movie so it hinges on her complexity and everything that's going on it's it's you know completely sublime um there's no doubt there but yeah and uh, i'm sorry go ahead no, oh no you, you know please go I was going to say uh, something that stood out to me uh, thinking about uh, Zodiac coming up is the, uh, and that there's someone on the roof scene and Clute uh, is Fincher clearly, clearly took from that for the, uh, there's someone else in the house basement scene in uh, Zodiac. I mean, that it was just, I, I just made a chef's kiss. If you can't see. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, this is the thing that, you know, Pakula just seems to be the kind of guy who, um, he's a, he's a beautiful, he, he's sort of inspirational, but he's like a beautiful inversion of like a Fincher, um, or a Michael Mann in that those, those characters are so 
fastidiously obsessive about the vision that they see in their head. And there's certain things that they have to surrender to their collaborators and then other things like just the performances or how it flows in the frame and what they can actually control as a director. They, they seem to go, okay, I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to push this to the nth degree because it's in my power to push it to this level. Whereas Pakula seems to be the kind of guy who is much more meditative in there and like gets in there and he, he knows exactly what he wants, but he, he kind of is the guy who is like a great, you know, coach, whether it's, you know, of any team sport in that there is so many great people around him in this movie. Obviously Redford is a terrific producer in his own right, a phenomenal actor. Hoffman's great, you know, a script by William Goldman. He's got Gordy Willis, um, lensing the entire film and then the best production and Academy Award designers, you know, uh, all there too. And then Robert L. Wolf, who's a Peckinpah alumni um, as the editor and just trusting that collaboration and just sitting in there and going like, if we've prepared right, this will all, you know, sort of be beautifully executed and how he's, how he's in there and just engages with the actors and loves getting them in there to do it. It's, it's a, it's, he's he's a guy who's like formal quality and, and and all that sort of is is incredible but he just doesn't seem to have the bluster of those guys you know he's not doing a thousand takes he's not doing a thousand takes and people are writing hot takes about his thousand takes it's uh he's doing exactly what he needs in that moment and kind of getting really phenomenal performances out of people you, you don't think he was really pushing brad pitt's irish <laughs> accent and uh you don't think he was come on he, he had more broke he had it more broke he had it cranked to 11 he's like brad go ham i just want you no, to go, go harder 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 lean in if you <laughs> thought richard gear's accent was bad in the jackal brad go harder go harder my friend you know what's so funny and no one references this in with the devil's own is devil's own good movie bad accents um and distractingly bad but like a couple of years later, Brad Pitt goes and does a pikey. You know, sorry if that's an <laughs> offensive term, but he does a pikey for Guy Ritchie and it's insanely great. Like it's phenomenal. And so I wonder yeah. if a really colossally bad receipt, like bad reception of his Irish accent in the devil's own, at least inspired him to look, no, nah, I'm going to have one more crack. I need one more crack at this. And, well, and he got it. Getting back to Clute. Uh, Jane Fonda's got a scene where she's doing a brogue uh, in an in an audition. Yes. And it's bad. And I was, I mean, I mean, <laughs> yes. Jane Fonda's Jane Fonda's performance is fantastic uh, to do. Uh, you know, because she she's an actress playing an actress, and uh, she's doing a bad um, uh, a bad audition convincingly. Yes. Um, and but yeah, I mean it. I wonder. I wonder if it's just Bakula's uh, his his version of a uh, uh, brogue. Uh, maybe maybe the issue is his. <laughs> yeah, you're like Alan. You're so good at everything else. You cannot hear an accent to save your life. You know, it's, you just it, the accents are bad across the board. <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't really get a shot at doing too many other films with accents. I'm just trying to actually look up Pakula's resume while we're talking to be like, did he ever have a crack at like many international things besides the devil's own? Sophie's choice. Sophie's choice. Um, yeah. I have, yeah. I mean, I don't, I haven't seen several of his uh, films, but uh, 
Uh, yeah, it's a it's a crazy um, it's a crazy, you know, there's the devil's own uh the, the devil's own hasn't been getting much love, but the Pelican Brief has been heaped had love heaped upon it every part of this show. And I, I've been trying to get people, more people onto comes a horseman um, as well. Speaking of Fonda, who does a terrific performance in comes a horseman as does James Khan. Man, Ben Brett or not Ben Bradley. Uh, <laughs> Robots. Jason Robards. Yeah. Right? He's great. He's great in it. It's a very proto Yellowstone kind of a uh, kind of thing going on there. When we're watching this, I've... when we're watching this scene, you get a little, you get a little frat flash of a uh, Robards as Bradley. And, this is probably the most heightened and pumped up we've seen both of these guys and panicked and out of breath. Um, what are you, what are your thoughts on both Redford and Hoffman as performers, Jed? Cause I don't think we've talked too much about these guys. Maybe we've talked about them in reference to, you know, similarly Hoffman, particularly coming out of the actor school yeah. and method and things like that. Are you, are you want, are, are these guys, your guys, do you like your Redfords? Do you like your Hoffmans? You know, it's funny because they're both, uh, they're, they're kind of examples of uh, opposite, opposite trajectories that way. Yes. You know, Redford kind of plays, he's the movie star who's a good movie star, but he's, you know, kind of the same role to role. Uh, and I think that there's, I think my mom pointed it out to me when I was a kid. Uh, she was like, look at his directing choices and he's casting, uh, you know, like she's, river runs through it did brad pitt look just like young robert redford <laughs> yeah and that and uh you know she she was saying he, he's he seems to be very taking on his own persona in his directing choices and i it probably uh it, probably some truth to that but uh yeah he does that same kind of thing um roll to roll where hoffman kind of goes big and uh you know gets wild a lot and certainly that makes for some splashy uh splashy good times and 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 some cringy uh, events too but uh yeah hoffman I, hoffman's a guy who is constantly in the method way like improvisational and willing to go off book and and sort of will rehearse and 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 try and tailor um, we'll try and tailor, you know, script choices and things like that all the way down. I've heard a little bit of in, more inside information, which people are going to hear, and I'm not going to spoil where they're going to hear it from in one of the upcoming episodes, but I've heard that Bakula did like to rehearse with the script and then improvise during those rehearsals. And then occasionally if there was a tweak or a line change, lock the script from the rehearsal improvisation. So not actually on the set. Um, and I have heard that obviously Hoffman is a guy who still continues to go off book on set as well. But it was just an interesting insight for me that like, this is a guy like Lumet who like loves the improv in, and even Coppola like loves improv in a rehearsal setting and then we'll tweak things and adjust it so that like on the day you're going to get it. And then for very special actors like your brand and stuff like that, things will continue to evolve and change. But that, that's, that style as well of like loving the rehearsal time, um, uh, especially, and then, and then playing to the strengths of the actors. I don't know what most of those words meant, but yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, what? I didn't go to film school. I don't I, Oh, so no, I mean, uh, like I, I just have to sit down and really, uh, concentrate on no, no no and meaning meaning like jed if you've if you've written a script there's always this thing and i guess it's like 
since Judd Apatow came out and you sort of showed warts and all, all of the ways that he gets his guys to just improv in the scene on the set during the setup, like just run line after run line after run line. There's always this big thought that improvisational actors like De Niro's and like Pacino's and like, uh, you know, Hoffman's for example, that they just improv during the scene on the set. But actually there's a whole school of thought like time where there there would be more rehearsals where they would actually improvisational, like, you know, improv a line in the rehearsal and then the writer, the screenwriter or the director would just change the line in the script so that on the day, that's the better line or that's the better way to read the line. Or, you know, someone says half a sentence here and the other person says it there. And, and, and yet still, you know, like, like, like heat, my favorite, one of my favorite facts about heat is that, you know, Pacino would do like six takes um, and have, and have the, have, you know, great options for Michael Mann to choose from. And Michael would have everything that he'd want. And then he would look over at Michael Mann and go, cool, you got everything you need. Cool. Let's do some wild ones. And then he would just go off. So in Uh right then he would do all crazy line readings or improv or change things or whatever, but he would make sure that in those six first takes that they had it, you know, that they had what exactly what they needed. Yeah. It's interesting because I mean, I, I, I wouldn't have known that about Hoffman. I don't, I don't read about, actors and their approaches or anything but but i mean if he's he's somebody who's been in a lot of very writerly uh you know a couple of mammoth productions you know like american buffalo or wag the dog or the the mammoth the fake mammoth confidence uh, (laughs) these are all i mean they're very very precise um precise with the the words and and certainly you can say them different ways but i would imagine that there's not much improvising going on in those situations but you get into something like hook or dick tracy or tootsie or you know i mean probably where you're going going big going for laughs and uh certainly some spontaneity is is yeah i called for i think like some of them you know even like uh, Ratso in Midnight Cowboy, you know, just that once you've got that yeah. energy bouncing around and saying and sure. fumbling a line, like it also almost adds to the great quality. But yeah, I agree. Like when you look, when you go further into his career, it's like, um, especially when it's like uh, the Ayad Huckabees and things like that, where you've got these like really overbearing directors, like you would imagine that there's not a lot of room to play um yeah. but but you know even even things like uh luck which unfortunately was canceled so terrific um but i would imagine that michael man yeah. michael man is not a guy um and nor is milch who is please improvise my Im- immaculate dialogue <laughs> like they're not <laughs> they don't seem like those guys right they didn't make lenny <laughs> no no they didn't but god he was good in lenny very good yeah but, he was yeah but there's a pre- I just wouldn't have had that impression of him as being somebody who's uh he, I take your word for it that, that he's an <laughs> improviser and I just know he makes he does make big big choices to you know even within within the the script being very locked in he'll he'll make performance choices that are very mannered and very uh, uh, yeah peculiar to that that picture that role 
Yeah, and, and, and as opposed to um, Redford, who I don't notice that coming in. I notice it way more almost in this performance than so many other performances in his career, where he's he's literally in particularly as as Woodward, he is really doing something deliberate to distance himself, even though he's imbuing Woodward with that movie star quality, like all of the, I don't know, just the mannered, the sort of Midwestern mannered nature that he's taking instead of the sort of wry cheek that he has and things like the sting and then Butch Cassidy and Sundance kid, like he's doing something very different, but his talent is being a guy who like he reads what's on the page. He applies his charm to it. That's what like, that's the great thing. And I think even a bit later, he gets better at um, playing off people's expectations of him. Like, you know, sneakers, spy game, um, you know, uh, uh, he's, he's what should have been his last movie, but he was actually some voices and did a cameo in Avengers Endgame. But like the old man and the gun, like he's just so wonderful at playing into and out of that persona as well. So yeah, he's that they've got a great energy together. It's so hard to imagine who any other two guys could have been to do this scene, these scenes and have this energy and have this chaos happening at the same time. I'm trying to think this is, that's reminding me of a, a thought about Redford. I'm wondering if it applies to Hoffman at all, but Woodward and Bernstein and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid are two just like all timer buddy combos. And I wonder if there's a just a particular quality to Redford as an actor that makes that work. I'm trying to think of another, I mean, I suppose Midnight Cowboy maybe, but I don't know that they have quite quite that uh, well, energy. Is there another place in, in Hoffman's career that you think? I mean, one is Wag the Dog you mentioned, which I think is underrated as far as his ability to like play completely off to Robert De Niro's straight man, a deeply underrated De Niro performance, a terrific film. Um, But I love watching those two play off one another because they're just so drastically different. But no, it's it's so hard. You're trying to look and I'm, you know, there's the, um, I'm, I'm just trying to look through some of his older roles here. I mean, you know, the kind of, there's nothing that even comes close. I mean, Rain Man, maybe the other, like as a buddy, it is like ultimately what is a buddy movie, but Hoffman doing one level of extremity and Cruz using all that sort of charm and, and those sorts of things, but it requires a younger charm. Like there's, you know, he's got that sort of age on him, but yeah, it's really hard to look and go, Oh yeah, here he is doing incredible buddy, you know, a buddy sort of play twofer. you know, he kind of has two of the best ever. Um, being Midnight yeah. Cowboy and then all the presidents and then Redford has kind of the two of the best ever is Butch Cassidy and Sundance and then presidents, you know, it's, it's really hard to see anyone play off those two. And, and only another movie with Midnight in the title, Midnight Run has another great buddy team, um, but for very different reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've never seen Rain Man. I should see that sometime. Huh? Yeah, it's very good. It's um I watch any kind of trash out there, but I've <laughs> <laughs> It's 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 very it's very good. It's um I think if Rain Man has aged any, it's that whole when you know that it's like Os- when it wins Oscars, it sometimes retroactively fits the mold of like, oh, they were just punching for an Oscar here. That's what they were doing. Their whole intention was we're gonna get an Oscar, this is how it's gonna happen, yeah. and and sort of did it. But but nonetheless, they're very good together. And, and also it kind of suffers in being ripped off in a lot of different things. Um, even 
piss taken in something like the hangover um it's it's kind of it's it's got its it's got its brilliance there but you know he's got great performances all throughout his career marathon man huh. like marathon man obviously we mentioned tootsie before oh yeah um wag the dog he's so terrific yeah, yeah uh, straight time straight, is straight time fantastic yeah really great really great yeah and Love and and almost one. and and a, such such a young gary Busey. Such a young Gary Busey in that movie. You're like, he's, he hadn't quite grown into his teeth. Right. Yeah. It's a, a, a great, a great little one. <laughs> no. Um, and oh, yeah, and Straw Dogs. Straw Dogs, Midnight Cowboy. Oh my God. His baby, did you say his baby <laughs> pictures are terrifying? Gary Busey. I haven't found them. I'm going to have to put them and find them online. I said, yeah. I was, I was just uh, projecting. I'm guessing they are. Yeah. I mean, look. He's you're, born with a full set of teeth. You only have to look at Jake Busey <laughs> to imagine he's born with full chompers. They almost look fake as they came out. Big white chompers, mm-hmm. Matt Dillon-esque chompers. Um, Jed, thank you so much for coming on to the show again. And uh, and even though I told you it was going to be a heat podcast to come and talk a little bit more about presidents, um, <laughs> is, is there any of those last observations that you've seen about what makes me tick, I think, uh, before we wrap up? Uh, she's put me on the spot there. This, I would have had an answer for this if we'd done this last night when I was a little drunk and you asked me to do this. So, but you definitely would have. You had lots of answers coming through I'm, on the DMs last I'm, night. I'm, yeah. In, I would have, yeah, in, I would have been a very good guest. <laughs> You're a great guest. Stop it. Stop it. Um, Mate, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thank you for your immense support um, across everything that we do on One Hit Minute Productions. I'm looking forward to talking to you on upcoming episode of Miami Nice and when we dive into our next large scale, probably, probably um, you know, almost a year long project, which will be Zodiac Chronicle, man. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Uh, so, yeah, no, just before before you go, watching uh, Clute, especially in Parallax View, uh, thinking about President's Men, and it struck me the opening of Clute's got that that cool little silver tape recorder. It's like glinting, and then the opening of uh, President's Men, of course, has got the typewriter with the gunshot sounding things. And I was, I was like, damn, like Pakula makes he makes slasher movies with with recording devices uh, as the weapons. You know, this is. Uh, this is what comes back to to bite everybody in in these movies is uh, documentation of <laughs> uh, of what you did, you know. And yeah, yeah. And, I don't and, know what. And and also um, every, every single thing that possibly can be recorded, photography, records, and all that sort of stuff is all the things that lead Warren Beatty to into danger and into yeah. the overwhelming uh omnipresent dark force of that universe like it just leads him down those it leads him on those breadcrumbs so it's like it's it both uh it's a sort of a save it can be a savior like in presidents but it also can a savior on the good guys and you know a a demise of the bad guys but i think that that's so beautiful in both parallax and presidents they kind of inverted it's like if you find them and you follow the breadcrumbs they'll consume you and then if you find them in presidents it's like we will you know we will going to get these out we're going to but I, I love that thought though because i think you've just nailed what so many people don't get is his 
he's a real master genre filmmaker. He knows what entertains people. And there's something undeniably entertaining about a slasher movie. Um, yes. You know, it's, they have a, they have an energy. They, they do like the space to create, like you usually slashers killers, like in Halloween particularly are um, silent. And there's a lot of space for you to project that. Right. Um, and this movie has all those things. Um, so I think you, you know, I think you're onto something. I think you're onto something. Yeah. And he's, uh, shit, we tied them into the golden fang here. And, uh, <laughs> We've had heat references. Come all references. the way around. Just golden fang. We've got it. Golden fang, parallax view, uh, double feature, right? Yeah. <laughs> golden fang, parallax view. <laughs> Inherent vice, sorry. <laughs> Look, the movie could be called the goddamn golden fang at this stage. There could be a golden fang edition, um, uh, a new naming right. convention. I Golden Fang Film Fest. That's what we'll program. <laughs> the Golden Fang. But hopefully you can end it on President's Man because it does have some uplifting quality. You know, I think you need some others in there. Um, you need some Chinatown. You need some yeah. Inherent Vice. You need some Parallax for you. What else is on your Golden Fang Film Festival? Shit, I don't know. Election? Uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> one. That's a great one. Who would have thought uh, Reese Witherspoon would have been like Trump? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. What a, I have not had the, I've thought about that movie a lot. I, I've only seen it once, but I've not had the uh, nerve to watch it again recently. Don't. Not for now. Yeah. Wait till this is all wrapped up and then you can watch it and have, be gleeful about the craziness and the similarities. <laughs> Jed, uh, thanks again. You're the best. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. And I'll just let you keep your opinion about me being the best. <laughs> that was my incredible friend, Mr. Jedediah Ayers. And I think there's really no one in the whole world that would call Alan J. Pakula a kind of slasher director other than him. If you want to find him, the best place to start is Twitter, which is at Jedediah, J-E-D-I-D-I-A-H, Ayers, A-Y-R-E-S. Um, and that will link off to Hardball Wonderland and any other stuff that he's writing or appearing on because he's a frequent podcasting guest for everything that we're doing. Thank you, Jed, again, for being a savior and swooping in um, for the show. Guys, thank you so much for listening to All the President's Minutes. Um, again, if you want to follow us at ATPM Pod on Twitter is the best place you can find us. If you want to find me, I am one Blake Minute on both Twitter and Instagram. If you want to support the show, it's Patreon forward slash One Heat Minute or go into the donation link here. But subscribe, rating, and sharing the show is a monstrous help. We are on the downhill slope. The new ending time, exclusive, not the 22nd of November, but now the 29th of November is locked and loaded. We have an amazing lineup of guests. The end is nigh. Catch you very soon.